the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. I don't know a single Christian, myself included, if you were to ever ask them, do you pray enough, who would answer that by saying, yeah, I kind of pray too much. It's really killing my uh, recreational time and my time with my family, and I don't get my work done, and uh, you know, my boss is ready to fire me because I just frankly am praying too much. I've never met a person who said they prayed too much. This is, this is a lost discipline and privilege and power at our disposal. We don't pray that much. And when we pray... Most of the time, it's all gimme, 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 God. Prayer is a powerful weapon against the things of the world. Prayer is a direct line to God. When we pray, He listens. So why don't we pray more? Today, Pastor Gary will encourage you to create an active prayer life. Most of us might have some misconceptions when it comes to prayer. Prayer doesn't have to be beautifully scripted verse with all of the these and thous. Prayer just needs to be you talking to God the way you would talk to a friend. No special language required. You can be as formal or informal as you like. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. When I think about Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he takes Peter, James, and John closer to where he is in prayer, and he finds them sleeping, what did he say to them? He says, could you not tarry for one hour? I'm challenged by that. Jesus says, could you not just pray for one hour? And then he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We need to be people of prayer. I don't know a single Christian, myself included, if you were to ever ask them, do you pray enough, who would answer that by saying, yeah, I kind of pray too much. It's really killing my uh, recreational time and my time with my family, and I don't get my work done, and uh, you know, my boss is ready to fire me because I just, frankly, am praying too much. I've never met a person who said they pray too much. This is, this is a lost discipline and privilege and power at our disposal. We don't pray that much. And when we pray, most of the time, it's all gimme, 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 God. God, gimme this, gimme this, gimme. Oh, God, gimme this. Oh, God, I need this. Oh, God, please hear me. Oh, I beg you, and I want, and I need. (laughs) And how many times does prayer take on the posture of just listening? How many times does prayer take on the posture of just hearing the still, small voice of the Lord? Now, um, I'm challenged by... You know, some of the early fathers of the faith, um, George Mueller, for any of you who know a little bit about church history and uh, some great evangelists and pastors of the uh, 
19th and 18th century. George Mueller is a great example of prayer. He uh, lived from 1805 to 1898. He died when he was 93 years of age, a Christian evangelist, and he was the director of Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England. And in the course of his lifetime, he cared for 10,024 orphans. And he built uh, orphanages, and he also established 117 schools, which offered Christian education to over 120,000 children. Uh, Most of them were orphans. And yet George Mueller never asked for a single penny in the course of his lifetime to build the orphanages and to take care of the orphans that he ministered to. All he ever did was pray. And Mueller would, and when you study some of these great men of faith in the 19th and 18th century, uh, and even before that, Martin Luther prayed on average three hours a day. John Wesley prayed on average two hours a day. George Whitfield got up at four o'clock every morning and prayed an hour in the morning, an hour at lunchtime, an hour at night, three hours a day. George Mueller pl- prayed hours on end. And how he was able to sustain his orphanages and uh, and Um, be able to minister to all these orphans over the course of his lifetime was completely on the basis of prayer. And um, there was one documented example of prayer that was recorded by Roger Steer, who wrote uh, the book George Mueller Delighted in God. And um, there was an occasion where all the orphans were sitting at the breakfast table in the dining hall, and there was no food. I mean, there was literally no food. And so the kids were just sitting there and George Mueller said, all right, kids, we're just going to pray until God supplies. And they started praying. And before they knew it, there was a knock on the door. And the guy who owned the bakery down the street said, I just felt impressed to come and unload all this bread. Do you need bread? And he brings all this bread into the orphanage. But then they didn't have anything to drink, so they prayed some more. And then there was another knock at the door. And there was the milk truck that at the time was a carriage drawn by horses uh, broke down in front of the orphanage and the guys came and knocked at the door and said, hey, my carriage just broke down. I got all this milk and it's all going to spoil. I can't get to my destination. Do you all think you can use some milk? And those are the amazing kinds of prayer just to watch the way that God would supply because a man just devoted himself to constant prayer. And in the course of his lifetime, the last 60 years of his life is when he really ran these orphanages and built them. He took in, in donations, the equivalent today in today's dollar of $150 million. And he never asked for a penny. He just prayed and God supplied it all. And listening to just a few things that he said uh, when he talked about prayer, he said, Prayer isn't just quiet time with God in the morning, although that it was important. It was a way of life. He said, I live in the spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk about, when I lie down and when I rise up, and the answers are always coming. Thousands and tens of thousands of times have my prayers been answered. When once I am persuaded that a thing is right and for the glory of God, I go on praying for it until the answer comes. George Mueller never gives up. He also ended up writing, he said this, he said, quote, I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. When one is truly in this state, it is usually but a little way to the knowledge of what his will is. Having done this, I do not leave the result to feeling or simple impressions. If so, I make myself liable to great delusions. I seek the will of the Spirit of God through or in connection with the Word of God. 
The Spirit and the Word must be combined. If I look to the Spirit alone without the Word, I lay myself open to great delusions also. Next, I take into account providential circumstances. These plainly indicate God's will in connection with His Word and Spirit. I ask God in prayer to reveal His will to me aright. Thus, through prayer to God, the study of the Word and reflection, I come to a deliberate judgment according to the best of my ability and knowledge, and if my mind is thus at peace, and continues so after two or three more petitions, I proceed accordingly. In trivial matters and transactions involving most important issues, I have found this method always effective. Now, here's what Mueller would do. He would read through the Bible four times completely through every single year. And so he developed a great appreciation for, for the Word of God, and his prayer life was combined with the Scriptures. That's why he puts great emphasis on the Spirit and the Word. And here's what he would do. When he had a need or he had a desire or request, he wouldn't pray it until he saw it given as an example somewhere in the Bible. That if he saw it modeled in Scripture, then he would turn to that place in the Bible, and he would place his hand on that passage And he would keep his Bible open and he would just pray that scripture unto the Lord in accordance with God's will as it reflected his own need. Because he said, if I see it in the Bible and I see that God answers it, then I know it's in accordance with his will and I know it's in accordance with scripture. And so I prayed according to what the Bible says. And that's what his prayer life was all about. Hours a day in the word of God until he could find and he wouldn't pray, he wouldn't lift it up. Because otherwise he didn't know if it was just his flesh desiring it or whether it was a bona fide, legitimate request before God. And he would use the word to test his prayer life. And when he would find it in the scriptures, then he would pray that unto the Lord. And this man saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And God is faithful to his word. And he answers prayer. And so Jesus speaks here about prayer and the importance of it. He says, go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Notice that. Long and loud is not better than short and sincere. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not about the length of your prayers and how loud your prayers are. It, it Loud and, and long is not better than short and sincere. That's what God wants from us, just to be sincere. Don't go on babbling. Verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Isn't that a comforting thing to know? God knows already, before you and I even pray, what we need. So don't go on babbling and don't be repetitive. You know, don't get all grandiose in your words. That's what the hypocrites were doing. They'd stand on the street corners and they would get all grandiose and everybody would know that they're praying. And, you know, we, and we've, we've been in environments, probably I'm sure you have. I've been in environments where, you know, you, you get some lofty person going in these grandiose words like, our father. It almost has to be like this, you know, monotone voice if it's going to be powerful. Our father. Oh, God, creator of the universe, hear our prayer as I beseech thee. King James was good for the day, but you don't need to still pray like that, all right? Now, look, if this is to be personal, right, let it, let it be just, let it just be sincere. Let it just be natural, okay? He's your father in heaven. He doesn't need that. 
How many, how bizarre would it be if your kids come home from school and they have a request and, you know, they want to be able to go to BurgerFi tonight for dinner and they come to you and they say, oh, gracious father of the household, I dust beseech you that we mightest go to BurgerFi. Stop talking to me like that, kid. What is wrong with you? All right. So why do we talk like that to God? Doesn't need to be like that. All right? It doesn't need to be like, oh, yo, yo, Papa in the sky. It doesn't need to be that either, okay? But I'm just saying, somewhere between our great father and yo, yo, Papa in the sky, it can just be somewhere in the middle there where it's just natural, like you're dialoguing with your father in heaven and pour out your heart, and it doesn't need to be this ritual recited thing. Just express your feelings of your heart to the father. And even the Bible says that sometimes we don't even know how to pray and the Spirit makes intercession for us. You ever been in those times where you're just kind of on your face on the carpet and your tears have made the carpet wet because you're going through something terrible and you don't even know how to pray? But the Bible says that the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings of words that cannot be uttered. And there are times that we are going to pour out our hearts before God with just loud groanings, but God can translate it and He knows our hearts. But what He doesn't want is this superficial stuff. And that's what Jesus is rebuking here. These people are just superficial. And he says, don't be like them. Your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9, this then is how you should pray. And so he gives us here the model of what we've traditionally called the Lord's Prayer. I'm not sure that's the best title for it. It's probably better to be called uh, the People's Prayer because this is what he's encouraging us to pray to the Father. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, there's been many great things written on the Lord's Prayer and many books. In fact, the subject of prayer is more written about by, in, by Christian authors than any other single subject. So there's, there's a lot of great stuff out there you could probably read if you want to. My personal philosophy is I don't read a lot about prayer because I feel like the amount of time I spend reading about somebody's idea about how to pray, I should just be praying. That's my personal opinion, okay? I, I could spend all day long just reading about how to pray and never really praying. So... Jesus gives us this model, and I see five particular components as, as the model of prayer, and the first one here is adoration, because he, he encourages us to begin with praising him, our Father in heaven, hallowed. You were, you were worthy of praise, hallowed be your name. So there should be some component of just not rushing right into prayer with our requests, but a little bit of just acknowledging his greatness and who he is. And worshiping him with your words before you launch into what you want or what you need. And again, notice how personal this is. Our Father. Our Father. Verse 10, he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think he's uh, calling us to have as part of our prayer time submission. Now, uh, some will read that text and, and think that it is a cry for the return of the Lord. Your kingdom come. But you have to remember, Jesus is teaching this, and he hasn't even yet died on the cross, so it doesn't quite make sense that he wants us to pray for his return when, as he's teaching this, he hasn't even died. Some, some will say that it is ushering in the kingdom, the millennial kingdom. I don't really personally see it that way, because when I compare Scripture with Scripture, in Luke 17, you can turn or just listen, but in Luke 17, verse 20, it says, "...once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come..." 
Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. That's Luke 17, 20 and 21. In other words, what Jesus is trying to teach us is the kingdom idea is that God is king and we need to submit to his authority. Yes, there's a literal kingdom. Yes. And there's a millennial kingdom. There's a thousand year reign and God will set up his kingdom and Jesus will rule and reign on the earth. But I'm not sure that that's what he's actually referring to here as much as he is making sure that we are regularly submitting to the rule and reign of God in our lives. Your kingdom come. And in a kingdom, there's only one king. Everybody else is subjects of the king. And I think Jesus is saying to us, may we regularly be acknowledging the rightful reign of the Lord in our lives on a daily basis. You are king. I'm not. I submit to your rule. I take orders from you. I I want to obey you. You give the commands, and I want to follow. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not my will. Not my kingdom. There's a lot of people who like to establish their own little kingdom, small k, and they want to assert their own wills, that's incompatible with the reign of God in your life. If you want to establish your own throne and you want to assert your own will, God is saying he needs to be king and his will needs to be done or he is not king at all in your life. And Jesus is challenging us with submission in this area. He says in verse 11, give us today our daily bread. It's okay to pray for provision. Now, there's a difference between needs versus greeds. We all know this, right? Uh, so we, we need to be careful that we're not just praying simply out of a heart of greed, but rather a heart of need, because give us today our daily bread is actually a pretty needful thing. And just to put some things in perspective, I mean, we are so blessed. It's like, what else do we really need to ask for? We, we live in Loudoun County, the wealthiest county in the nation, And I read some statistics on MSN money that if you listen to this, if you have $2,200, just $2,200 in assets, like your home, like the equity in your home, if you have just $2,200 assets in your home, car, or clothes, then you are among the top 50% of the world's wealthiest people. Just $2,200 in assets. If you made $1,500, just $1,500 in income last year, then you are in the top 20% income earners in the world. $1,500 for the year. You are richer than 80% of the world's people if you made $1,500 or more last year. If you have $61,000 in assets or $25,000 in annual income, you're in the top 10%. And if you earn over $50,000 annually, you are in the top 1% of the world's earners. So when I read this, I don't tend to think that God is wanting us to necessarily give him a list of all of our material greeds, but instead he's urging us to make sure we know the difference between need and greed, since we are so blessed as a people, and to ask him for those things that would be provisional in our lives not necessarily feed the greed. Psalm 37, 25, the psalmist says, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Then he says in verse 12, forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we also have forgiven our debtors or those who have trespassed against us. There needs to be a time of confession in our prayer life. There needs to be a time where we just openly confess our sins before the Lord, 
and uh, that we also take before the throne those that we might have unforgiveness towards and that we practice forgiveness even as we want to receive forgiveness. But there's this, a place of confession in our prayer time. And then uh, lastly, he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I think it's good for us to pray for protection, protection against temptation that can come in the form of our own flesh or the world and uh, protection from the evil one, which is Satan. And so these kinds of components, now again, you know, don't, don't take everything and make a formula out of it, but if I were to look at the Lord's Prayer as a model rather than just to be recited as a ritual thing, then I see and I would s- submit to you the ideas of adoration, submission, provision, confession, and protection to be regular components of our prayer life. But then notice, out of this whole prayer, the one part that Jesus emphasizes, verse 14, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. It's very challenging. Of all the parts of what we call the Lord's Prayer, that Jesus emphasizes at the end. It's not the, pra- it's not the praise part, the Hollywood part. It's not the submission part about the kingdom. It's not about the provision, about the daily bread. It's not even about um, delivering us from temptation and the evil one. It's the part about forgiveness. And he emphasizes this. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And that's challenging to us. And I think simply what Jesus means is this. If you don't practice forgiving others, how can you rightfully lay claim to even understanding the forgiveness that comes from the Father? And we have to practice this in our lives. If we want God to forgive us, it's hypocritical of us. When you think about it, it's hypocritical of us to say, God, forgive me, I've sinned against you, but I'm not going to forgive this person who sinned against me. I I want you to do something for me, that I'm unwilling to do for someone else in the sense of their offense against me. And God challenges us at, at this level. Now, look, I, I, whenever we talk about the subject of forgiveness and, and pain that has been inflicted upon you from somebody else, whether it was intentional or unintentional, you know, I never want it to come across like I'm minimizing whatever you went through. Because whatever you went through, God sees and God knows and God cares. What I am suggesting to you, though, is if we do not practice forgiveness, we will be bound in bitterness, and it will be destructive to our lives. But if we are able to practice forgiveness in the same way that we have received it, we will be free at both ends. We will be free in our relationship with God because we'll be right with Him, with a clean heart in relation to Him, and we will be right with others as far as it depends on us because we will practice the same forgiveness that we receive from the Father. It doesn't mean you lord it over them like you're God to them and I forgive you. And sometimes that can come across very arrogantly too. Have you ever had somebody come to you, they probably were well-meaning, and you don't even know that you offended them, and they say to you, you know, you probably don't even know what you did to me, but I forgive you. I just want you to know I forgive you. And you're just like, oh, well, wow, thank, thanks for that. I, I, I thank you that you have forgiven me. But you, and you, say, you don't even know how to receive it sometimes because it can kind of come across a little bit like they're pontificating, you know. But I'm, I'm sure maybe they don't mean that. And yet this is an important practice for all of us to grasp. Jesus wants us to practice forgiveness so that we're not bound 
by unforgiveness and bitterness that is so destructive to the human soul. But he says, I want you to practice forgiving in the same way that you receive forgiveness from your Father in heaven. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew, and we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know